Welcome to Strategic Leadership. I want to welcome everyone to this podcast. This is our maiden voyage here, and we're really excited with uh, with today's episode. Uh, we're going to be talking about leadership with um, with one of the people who I know that is fantastic at this subject, Tom O'Rourke. So, Tom is a um, is a good friend of mine. Um, and let me introduce him in just a second, but let me first get to the why question. I always like to answer the why question before we launch into anything. So why this podcast, why focused on strategy and leadership? And I think the reason is from the dawn of time, people have gotten together in groups to do things of larger scale. There's only so much you can do as an individual, but if your goal is big, you pull people together and together you work on a common goal. That's called an organization. It can take the form of a, of a company or, or a government or a department or an association or any, any form of, um, of group. But if your goal is important to you, if you are about something that is going to make the world a better place, it becomes very important to do it right. And to do it right means that you need to think a little bit about how you're going to maneuver within your environment and how you're going to take your team and make the best of that and, and move them forward with a common goal. So with that, let me introduce our, uh, our wonderful guest for today, Tom O'Rourke. Uh, so Tom is a professor of practice at Clemson University's Department of Park and Recreation and Tourism Management. He's the former executive director of the Charleston County Park and Recreation Commission, a remarkable uh, regional park agency in the Charleston area that just does amazing work. He's a consultant with Brandstetter and Carroll. Um, he is a city council member for Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. And I'm giving him the, the title of influencer. I've, I've known Tom for a lot of years and he has such a network, influences thought in, uh, on the subjects of, of leadership and mission and where we're going. So, Tom, welcome. Well, thank you, Paul. I, um, I'm excited about this. And, and if there's anybody that could um, pull this off, it's you. I appreciate all those accolades. I'm quite certain that my star doesn't shine nearly as bright as you make it out to be, but that's okay. And uh, for those listening, please do not hold the city council thing against me. Um, I, I made the mistake of running three and a half years ago, and I have a little bit of time left and I will not run again. It's very, very, it's a, it's a different culture than I'm used to. And, um, and I think at some point, the discussions we have today about leaders and leadership and culture are all intermixed. So maybe it'll come up again. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a different kind of organization. And as I don't know, I found as you move through your career and you work in different organizations, you gain more insights because you, the oh, first yeah. place you work, you just think, well, this is the way the world is. And right. then you go to another place, you're like, oh, they are very different. <laughs> so oh, yeah. uh, you can learn through that. So let me start with uh, the idea for this particular podcast, which was you're quite a um, a leader in getting people to think about things. And on LinkedIn, you posted a provocative question of, can you even teach leadership? And, 
And of course it got all kinds of comments and dialogue back and forth. It, it just tell us a little bit about, about that, Tom. Yeah, that, that was funny. And Paul, you know me better than anybody. <laughs> so you knew when I said that, it was meant to throw gasoline and then throw a max on it. But <laughs> that's where good discussions start. And I was talking to a close friend, Deb Gayan. She's from the Chicago area. And, and that discussion came up. She was talking about teaching a class on leadership. And I said, can you do that? You know, no, I mean, I've taught classes <laughs> on leadership, but it's it started a really interesting discussion. And um, I thought, you know what? I'm gonna throw it out there. And, you know, to have over 4,000 people engaged in this is, is a lot of people. Um, Cause it's been like maybe a week. It's, it hasn't been a long time, but what I like about it is the comments that I got that weren't on LinkedIn. You know, the people that would email individually with really serious stuff and calling me out. And um, <laughs> people I respect so much. Most people that I respect, like Paul, would would have read that initial comment and thought, that guy's an idiot, and then not comment, <laughs> okay? A lot of people aren't like Paul. They wanted to get to me quickly, but didn't want to do it in person. So, um, but honestly, I mean, that's why I did it. If, if you want to have a great outcome, it's going to take discussion. And sometimes it takes dissenting discussion and um, to get you where you are. I personally think that all discussion is good. And honestly, there is part of me that, that believed there's a segment of people that will never be able to lead. It's not as if you go to a class taught by the greatest leader ever and you leave as a leader. I don't think everyone can do that, but I believe there are definitely things and traits and examples of leadership. And um, one of the things that I spend a lot of time um, talking about is how to lead yourself. And I feel strongly that you can't lead others until you can lead yourself, until you know who you are. What do you believe in? What are your values? What makes you up? What is your personality? Do you have the conviction when a room full of people that hire you are going down the wrong path and say, stop, this is not what we need to do? That takes some courage. And the other thing that it takes is knowing the room and knowing when and when not to do that. There are young professionals that just, I certainly understand they can't do that all the time. I know that. But as you build credibility, you get a little bit more and a little bit more. But I think we should be living living on that edge. So that discussion was, was great. I knew what the answers would be. And so I threw another follow-up question out. And I said, you know what? I changed my mind. <laughs> I, I think you can absolutely teach leadership. I think it's an essential thing to teach. And... Could any of you work for a crazy person that changes their mind all the time? And, oh, those comments, we've been better. They were like, yeah, if it's based on facts and it's based on information, but if you don't know where the target is and you keep moving around changing your mind, I don't want any parts of you. And I, and I love that because um, a lot of honesty in that follow-up question. It was, I didn't mean, can you work for me? I meant, can you work for someone that sometimes changes their mind. And what amazed me was that 
many of the comments dealt with, yeah, of course, it takes courage to change your mind. If the, if the ship isn't going where it should go, you've got to move the rudder and get it to where it needs to go. It, you can't fall on your sword. I know that you've taught a lot of classes on generals and leadership, so I'll use that analogy. But um, yeah, sometimes you have to change it up. And honestly, back to the governmental thing, um, why I'm, I'm not a good politician, I think, is um, I change my mind a lot. I get new facts and it's like, oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Well, no, I don't believe that way anymore. I believe this way. And that drives the public crazy because people believe one thing and they're not changing their mind. So it's uh, that that's to answer your question. That's what that discussion became. And it, and it became a good. So, Tom, I mean, I, you, you know where I stand on whether you could teach leadership. Of course. Um, <laughs> but I think the, the more you learn, the more questions you have, just yeah. like you were kind of pointing out. And in yeah. my mind, the best analogy for leadership is that it is a journey. It's yeah. not that you are a natural, I don't believe that there's a natural born leader that, you know, you come out of the womb and, and are ready to, you know, lead the masses in, a, in you know, in, yeah. in some direction. Yeah. It, it's very much a learning process. And I, I loved your thought about learning how to, how to self-lead uh, because I think yeah. the more, the more you act at the surface and more you learn about it, the more you realize how much more you need to gain. I think one of the problems in leadership is we all can identify great leaders. When we see it, we know it. Yes. But it's a hard thing to define. And I think that's where it gets tricky to talk about teaching it, to even talk about what it is, because we just see it. And we see some people with charisma, some people with a, a passionate vision that they won't let go of, and we want to follow them. Um, but we're not quite sure how they got that way. So when was, when was the first time you saw someone lead and really identified it as that? You know, my father was the high school basketball coach of our community for 23 years and he didn't lose and he was such an old school coach you know you wore a tie you never said bad words you never did any of that but it was all based on working towards goals and and knowing what the goals are and going back to making yourself better I think I have a lot of athletic analogies because like with my father, if every person became better individually by working on the things they needed to work on, then the team would be better. And I think it's very similar to, to what I said before. Work on yourself, know the skills you need to improve yourself. And if it's a sport, it's passing and dribbling and shooting and all those other things. If it's in um, a business environment, it's courage and honesty and, and, and all of these other things. So um, that's the first that I remember seeing it. But what I, what I loved about my father's analogies is the man was so respected by everyone. And it wasn't because of what went on in that court. It was because of who he was. And actually, my older brother is the same person. I mean, this guy 
is, you know, he was president of Alcoa Russia. He's a vice president of Alcoa. He, he when the, um, this is the one thing about leadership that I think is so interesting. My brother's reputation is unbelievable. You can, you can Google Bill O'Rourke and you'll be amazed at what, he, what he's done in this world. But I remember when that tragic, I'm from Pittsburgh, by the way. Um, usually it takes less time than this for me to let the whole world know that, but, <laughs> but I am from Pittsburgh. And um, the most horrible anti-Semitic event that's happened in this country was when the shooting in the Tree of Life synagogue in Pittsburgh happened this year, and it, and it was horrible. And so the Jewish community came together. My brother lived in Pittsburgh. He has since retired from Alcoa. And they didn't know what to do. They were getting money in from here, phone calls coming in. They didn't know what to do. And they called my brother and said, can you help us? And he took about a year and, and set up the foundation, set up everything. So for the Irish Catholic to walk into the Jewish community and have him help because of who he was, not because of anything else. This guy writes books on, on um, morality and, and all of that. And um, so I think who you are is such a big thing. And as you can tell, I have shining examples in my life, um, in my own family that uh, keep me going every day. That's, that's amazing. You know, I was, I was thinking about how there's a difference in leadership between normal times and crisis and change. And when there's crisis and change, you need leadership. In normal yes. times, you want it and you should have it. But, but it's, it's interesting as we look, you know, in, in, look at any history book, it's all about periods of crisis and change and yeah. the people that rose in those times. And it, that uh, makes me think of your story with your brother there. Yeah. Yeah. And we had a, we had a similar one in Charleston and I can remember yeah. my friend, Stacy Schweikert was there visiting, hmm. touring, touring the place. I think, you know, Stacy, yeah, but, yeah. but, but, um, but so Stacy was there and it was the night of the shooting at mother Emanuel AME church. Yeah. Remember it well. And I had a meeting the next morning with our general staff, which is every single person, 200 people. And um, every meeting has a theme and everything else. And she was scheduled to come to that meeting anyway. And she called me that morning and said, are you still gonna have it? I said, yeah, we're gonna have it, I, of course. More so now than, than ever. And she sat in the back of the room and I walked in and everybody was there and I unfolded the chair and I put it up on the little stoop. And I said, all right, we're talking about this. And there was a lot that wasn't resolved yet, but it gave everybody an opportunity to unload because these were people we knew. And if we didn't know them, we knew somebody that knew them. And we could not imagine a situation where you have nine African-Americans in their church praying and the white guy walks in and kills them all. Yeah. And we're not over that. We'll never be over that. But that's why McLeod Plantation exists. Well, I, that's why those stories are told for that. You're jumping ahead, Tom. I'm sorry. <laughs> 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 yeah, you're doing great. So I, I was going to ask you about McLeod. Um, McLeod is a, um, such an interesting site. So it's a, 
it's an antebellum plantation and there are a lot of those. The one thing that stands out, I, I visited this um, and it's part of uh, um, the Charleston County Park and Recreation Commission's facilities. They have this long, long row of slave quarters. And in many places, the slave quarters don't exist anymore. It, it, you right. really have to look to find them. And this, they are, they are absolutely there. They are center stage. And it makes the, the conversation all about that. So you were there and led your organization in a time when you acquired that and developed that as a park and interpreted that. And I have no doubt that there are some leadership stories there that probably that, that direction wasn't embraced by everyone immediately. And tell us a little bit about. Oh, it's the, still not embraced. It's, it's still not embraced. Yeah. But I, I read an interesting article in the Smithsonian by our person in charge of that place. And he was telling the story about the day he met me. And I didn't know this. <laughs> and he talked about a meeting that I had him go to with me. And I walked out of there and I must have said to him, we're going to own that. And when we do, we're going to tell the truth. And his whole article was based on that. I didn't even remember. I mean, I knew I felt that way. Yeah. But to read that kind of gave me goosebumps. But um, no, we do not tell the regular story that you would see in a plantation. The name, our story and our theme is the transition of freedom. And the reason the story needs to be told today is the transition is still going on. Yeah, That didn't end in 1865, I promise you. And when Black Lives Matter is, are protesting in the same streets, it's still going on. And honestly, Paul, and you know this because you do it, Parks and Recreation fixes this stuff. That's the reason we exist. This is, it's us that fixes this. It's us that has the courage to address this. And the reason I know it's working where I am, I got calls all the time. And they would say, you know, that's not true. The stories that they're selling, they said, really? Oh my goodness. Well, we're all about truth. Can you give me the facts of what, where did you find? <laughs> I never hear from anybody yeah. after that, you know. But honestly, I mean, you leave our place, you're crying. I mean, you're emotionally a different person when you hear the truth. Yeah. But I don't think we're going to get anywhere until the truth comes out, the wounds are open, we dump alcohol in them, we, and we heal. And that's, uh, that's why McLeod is there. You absolutely can't move forward unless you acknowledge yes. what yes. happened. And, yeah. and what happened is often not pretty. I, right. I, I've been to uh, you know, gazillions of house museums that were, um, that were run by, by slaves. And yeah. until fairly recent time period, they were they were talking about the doilies on the table. You know, they were they were they were clearly just all about the lifestyle of the of the white people that owned it. It was it was gone with the wind. Of course, um, of told course. at a hundred, a thousand different sites around the country. Right, and we need to move past that narrative, which was never really true to begin with, and talk about why they were there, what the reality of all the people that were there was. Um, and we need that for healing. So but let me say one thing about that too. 
And I, I, I really honestly, in all situations, try to stop and find the positive. It's like Mr. Rogers when he said, you know, when things are bad, find the people, find the healers. Yeah. And and so I'm gonna I'm gonna try to say something that may not be the right thing to say. But when I look at like the Black Lives Matter movement, okay, I can see some good in this. I'm not young. Look, the gray hair, okay? I was alive in the 60s. I was alive when um John Lewis was with Martin Luther King and they walked across the bridge in Selma and the fire hoses and the way it was act. What I love about today, there's a lot of people mad that look like me. And, yeah. and that's the difference. But I think the country now as a whole is saying, all right, hold on now. We, we, we got to talk about this. But back in the day, it was against one race. And it was one race against another race. And right now, I think it's about normal people against right. And so I, I know it's horrible. I know what's going on is horrible. But I, somebody my age, can see some progress. And I know that the next generation will be better than this one. And I know that the one after that will be better than that. And it's just going to take some time, I think. So that, I mean, that's a great point that you make about how the issue is is cast and formed because today the issue is justice. Yes. Justice doesn't have a color. Mm -hmm. And, and that makes it a different dynamic than if it was set up as a black versus white. Right. Dynamic, which is kind of what it was in the sixties, I guess. Um, so I I'm trying to transition us back to leadership. <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, you, you invited the wrong person, okay? Yeah, you invited the wrong person. And you know what? Everything is related to everything. And, yes, and yes. the story about McLeod Plantation is a story of courage to mm. take that on, to spend a whole lot of money. How much money was that? It was the largest capital project in our agency. It was over $11 million. Uh, okay, eleven but, million dollars. But every dime was essential to the message. Yeah, but you see, there's where leadership comes. So you could have spent how many ways could you have spent eleven million dollars? You know, oh my god, in, in and, our and field, made all this money, and and you know me. I mean, I'm uh, you and I together could find ways to make money, but that's not what this was about. Well, and how many athletic fields do you build with eleven million dollars? Yes. Like right. a gazillion. Oh. Yes. So, there are a million and one pulls and pushes, and this is true in any field. There are more things to do than can possibly be done. Right. And part of leadership is making choices and justifying those choices and standing behind those choices and saying, this is what we need to do. Because if you don't do that, then you never, you never really do anything. That's right. Um, so it, is, it takes courage. It has consequences. And you made the right choice in my mind. <laughs> so yeah. well, it's, it's great. So let's, let's switch. It's sure. not really switching. It, it's just, you know, uh, transitioning a little bit to talk a little bit about the leadership journey that, that anyone in their professional lives takes. And one of the things I try to do when I teach my class on, on this stuff is to first of all, remove leadership from the top of an organizational chart. 
absolutely the people at the top of an organizational chart have a very important leadership role. But I think traditional thinking kind of, that was the beginning, middle, and end of it. I think we all have a leadership role. Basically, if you influence someone else, and we all influence someone else, (laughs) then you are a leader. And part of starting on this journey is recognizing that and, and then understanding that there's always a next level. So the, um, the graphic that we have, and I'll, uh, let me just explain this in words for those that are listening. It's from John Maxwell, who wrote a book about the five levels of leadership. And it's kind of a, a five-level wedding cake, if you will, with a progression as you go up. So the, the baseline is what he calls positional leadership. And that's really because you have the job. It's, it's your job title. Your business card says supervisor, manager, director, owner, fill in the blank. Whatever it is, you are in a position of leadership. And people will listen to you, respond to you in a certain way just because of that. You haven't earned it. You just have it. Uh, Your first day on the job. Next level is called permission. And that is that people work for you because they want to. There's a relationship between you and those that are working with you and for you. This third level is production. And that's where you have proven that you can make a difference. People see what you've done in the organization and appreciate that. And they're willing to follow you even more. Fourth level is people development. And that is where you have been a mentor to others and you've helped them along their way. They recognize that they wouldn't be where they are if you had not been there to be their their mentor, their assistant, their aide or whatever. And that might be formal or informal, uh, but you have invested in them in some way. And then the pinnacle is level five. And that is that people follow you because of what you represent. So it's not what you're doing. It's not the title you have, it's the values you represent. And as we started this, I, I talked about Tom and how I've known him many years. We, if you go to a conference that Tom is at, and Tom goes to a lot of conferences, I, he's probably been at every state in the, in the union talking at a conference. The session that is hosted by Tom O'Rourke is filled. They always give him the biggest room in the house. And... There's a hundred plus people in that room at the minimum. And Tom is a very humble guy and he'll, 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 he'll be self-deprecating in a moment, (laughs) but the reason that they are there has very little to do with the title of the, of the session and has a ton to do with who he is and the values that he represents and the message that he delivers. Um, So, Tom, what, what's your thought on this, um, on this five I, level? Does it work? Yeah. I've used this. I've used it at director school. And um, I think it's, um, I think it's, it's great. I, I do believe that sometimes we have to be all of these and not just one or the other. There are situations where you may have a group or a, um, a section of your department where they really just 
are not that engaged and you may have to just be giving orders and directions. Um, but I do think that it's better to work your way up to the top of that ladder. Um, one of the things that I, that I, I will say also is that um, who you are is, is the whole game. And um, I, I believe strongly that you got to know that. You've got to figure out what, what are those things that, that make up who you are. Most importantly, the things you're not really good at, the things that, that you really struggle with as a leader. Because most of us that have been uh, directors of departments work with a management team. And it's interesting to see the management teams that, that I had because um, everybody had their space to fill that I was not good in. And that 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 worked out real well. As far as um, being the one at the top, who you are, I think that um, we should all strive for that. And that starts with. Um, I think there's, I actually think there's four traits that every leader should have. There are lists of ten, twenty, whatever, but I've narrowed it down to four. The first, I think you have to have vision. You have to be able to see the future. The second is honesty. Honesty is so super important. And I don't mean honesty when, I mean honesty before it's time to be honest. Being in front of your staff before they've even heard anything to say, if this happens, we're going down this path. If this happens, it's going down this path. They're both bad, but we're going to have to figure it out. But if you lose staff members because you're dishonest, you're done. It's, it's over. You'll never be trusted again. It's one thing that you can never get back. And um, I think that the, any staff that we have can see through everything. They, the, these are skills that you just can't pretend. The next is you've got to have courage. You, you, you have to be able to know, what will I lose my job over? You know, there's a uh, friend of ours, David Miller, just posted a picture of Ernest Burkeen. I don't know how well you knew Ernest, but Ernest lost like two jobs because they fired him because he wouldn't give in. And it's like, I want to be like Ernest. And I love sitting around and talking to him. I miss him so much. But wow, did he have principles. And he found himself in the biggest cities and tough jobs, you know, Miami, Baltimore, places that are really tough. But he, he knew he worked for, and it wasn't the mayor, and it wasn't the elected people. It was the people in the neighborhoods, and they needed him. And so you got to know when you're going to be like Ernest and when you're going to step up and, um, and do that. But the last, actually, is humility. No, uh, people do not want to hear you bragging about yourself or or things that you've accomplished. If you've accomplished something and it's worthwhile, people will know. And if you're doing it for that reason, it's going to be really difficult, you know? So I think those are the four big ones there. But I do love this, this ladder. And I, like I said, I've used it. Um, I also think that I've been lucky to be able to have the courage that I had. And um, because... The people that I've worked for, the organizations that I've worked for, the elected people and the appointed people, um, 
really loved what we did. And we, we, um, that's a whole other course in and of itself in leadership. But how you lead those that govern you is a really important trait. If you do nothing and they start leading you, you're not going to get anywhere. But if you're out in front of them, bringing them with you, giving them a seat on the train, then that's where you see you're going to see things well. So, so I actually like this a lot, Paul. Yeah. Well, Tom, you and I both know numerous people who have been fired because oh, yeah. they had courage. And yeah. we also, if we thought about it, I'm sure knew people that did not have courage and, and, you know, and gave in. And yeah. a large part of that is, you know, is risk aversion. And I think mm. we do a whole segment on risk aversion. No, no <laughs> and yeah. part of that, I think some people are more risk adverse than others. I, I think probably you and I are just <laughs> by, by virtue of nature somehow are a little less risk adverse. Yeah. Um, but if you can get comfortable that, that you will be okay. Yeah, there there might be consequences. They might be very unpleasant in the near term, but you will be okay. Yeah. Then you can take a position that is grounded in your values and aren't taking a position just because um, you're wringing your hands and worrying, uh, which is almost never the right, never the right path. There, yeah. And there will always be challenges and 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 threats out there. Um, it's just uh, yeah. the way it goes. Can I, can I add one thing about, about this before we move on? Sure. You know, so many times we don't address or underestimate the importance of being the follower. Yeah. Being the person in the group that isn't leading. I'd like to teach at a school on followership, <laughs> not leadership, because it is so vitally important to make sure that you appreciate your role in as a support system for what's going on. And there are many, even the busiest, hardest working person from time to time has to drop down a little bit and sit at the end of the bench for a while and support in other ways. But everybody all the time doesn't need to be the voice all the time out there in front. And being that lead, being the follower is so vital to what we do. Um, I have always felt that it was important to make sure that every single person in an organization understands their role to the, to the big picture. So as we put the vision up there, what is your role? That When we did our, our uh, when we instituted our values, we sent everybody a piece of paper with one question. What do you do in your job to improve the quality of life in Charleston County? And you, you, you had to take two days to do the work. So you had to think about it. And the person that was mowing wasn't mowing. They were like, um, I improve areas and make them safe so that families can participate in blah, 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 blah. And when, once you can get people there, that's, what, that's when you're going to make it. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. I, I think your point about recognizing both leadership and followership is really critical because what many people don't realize is that everyone does all those things. Yes. There is no one at the top of, of 
the latter. There's, there's always someone that you are accountable for, responsible to, and at any moment, you are, you are both leader and follower, and that leadership is not a, um, it's not a maverick activity. It is a, an act, it's a communal activity, really. So if, if, if I see you post a provocative question, I will respond to it because I am following your lead and trying to amplify yeah. it and push it forward. Yes. And, yes. and that's going on all the time in every organization. Right. Um, I, one of the things I, I advise uh, students to do is if they are at a junior position, figure out what the vision is and get behind it. And if you are the person in the room that says, you know, our vision is fill in the blank, we should really double down on this. Well, guess what? You're, you're leading, even if you don't have the position to lead. Right. And if you right. are an organization that doesn't have a vision, which many don't, mm-hmm. then provide it. Yeah. And if you're the only person that says, I think our vision is this, and everyone else is scratching their head and thinking, I don't have a clue what our position is, or our vision is, then again, you all of a sudden become the leader. Yes, you're right. One of the things with the five levels that Maxwell has that I, I think you kind of alluded to um, is that at any one moment, you probably are in several of these boxes at the same time with different people. And I, I remember having a, a conversation with um, uh, Chris Polly, who is our director of operations for Nova Parks and a, and a brilliant leader. And we were talking about Maxwell's five levels and both scratching our heads and saying kind of, well, where are we? Um, and, you know, that, that employee that you hired last week, to them, you're, you're at level one because they don't know you. Right. Um, that you just have a title. For, for someone else who's been around for a while and you've had a lot of interaction with, maybe you're at that, that development level where the relationship is there, you have helped them on their journey and they are, um, you know, they're appreciative to, to all of your help and respectful of that. To someone else, they get your values and they're, and they're totally into it. Someone else, you know, is at, is at a different level. And, so it's not, you, you try to move your way up, but at any given time, you will be at different levels with different people. But the challenge, I think, is for those who don't know that there's more than one level. <laughs> you know, yeah, if, if you just think you get the job, you're the leader, end of story, you know, roll the credits, then <laughs> that's not, not going to work. No, nope, no, absolutely. Well. Tom, another thing I was thinking about, sort of related to this, is I was thinking about leadership in normal times and leadership in crisis times, and and what we are, what we are looking for that's different in those two periods of time. Um, you know, I was, I was thinking about the house on fire, um, yeah. and we're pretty much there right now. Uh, with the pandemic going on, um, in, in my organization, we're projecting about a $7 million hit. We're using every, you know, financial 
tool in the book to um, reduce expenses and, you know, cover costs in different ways. And, you know, thinking, thinking about how to manage all of our assets as well as we can, getting it down to about a $2 million hit after we, you know, use the best management techniques. But I've been communicating a lot during this period of time with staff, mainly through videos, because you can't right. bring people together. Um, but I think when the house is on fire, the kind of leadership you want is not so much inspirational. It is um, comforting that there is a plan there. We will be okay. And we're, we're going to move through this together and a lot of communication, the honesty that you talked about. Um, and I think that's what people want when they are, when they are afraid and, and nervous, they want comfort that things will be okay. And that's a very different kind of leadership than you need and want when you're in um, another state of mind where you're not fearful um, and things seem more normal and you need to be inspired to move forward in a direction. Sure. Where sure. have you seen those two dynamics? Well, I think your examples are perfect. And honestly, Paul, right now, people are nervous. Right now. I am. Um, but... It goes back to what I said previously, and I forget what the conversation was at that time, but it's, it's like stop and find the good. And I, I will be willing to bet you that those dollar things where you're, you're losing the money are, are, are bad and they're there, but I'll bet you there are people walking in your parks on a more frequent basis than ever have ever. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and crazy. One of the things we do a really horrible job in this field is selling our greatness. Yeah. And we now have an opportunity to say, wow, look at what's happening in the parks. I had the opportunity not too long ago to speak to a group of, I, I think they were directors, but in the state of Oregon. And um, they meet on Zoom um, periodically. And they asked me to come in. And it was really funny because I said, okay, we're going to make a list. I want you to all give me some examples of things that are really great because of the COVID virus. <laughs> and they're like, what the heck are you doing? I said, oh, no, no, no. I got my paper ready. Let's go. And then somebody went, well, our attendance figures are up. Boom. And somebody else said, you know, I'm communicating better and more frequently, but everybody had something. And I challenge everyone listening to this. Yes, it's it's horrible because it's unfamiliar. And it's horrible because it's not what we were doing when everything was great. But you know what? The public needs us now more than any other service out there. Public outside parks, holy heck. We're the we're the place to go right now. I know people that I had a um I had a friend I had lunch with, and he tested positive, so I had to do my 14 days. But I did my 14 days, and on all 14 of them, I was outside walking, you know? So, wow, how great is, is that? So my point to you is just keep digging, man. Keep digging yeah. in a crisis. 
But what you said that was really good was show that vision of the future. Show the future state of how you're, you're going to get out of it. But the tomorrow doesn't have to be horrible. I really don't believe it does. And you can't lead if tomorrow is horrible. Like you, right. you, you have to, right. I, at least, at least that's where I'm at. And I think that's where you're at. But you, you have to lead through optimism. Yeah, I was, um, take, take my um, director hat on and put my park patron hat on. I, I sent a message this morning to several of my friends who I got together with numerous times over the summer and fall. And we went camping and we went kayaking. Yes. Yeah. And we could do that at a safe distance. And for all of us, um, well, I was saying, if it weren't for COVID, none of us would have time to have done that. And we did it a bunch. And for every time we went out there, we came back so much more centered. Yes. We sat around the campfire. We told yeah. stories. We went paddling. We, yeah. we laughed. We had a good time. And we were surrounded by nature, and we came back centered in a period of time when the world was very, you know, the ground underneath us was moving uh, all the time. So um, I love that story. That is so true. And if it wasn't for this virus, we would not be doing that. We would not be doing it. Millions of people have a story just like that. Yes. Where they're getting out and, and using the parks more. Yes. But my point, though, is sell that, <laughs> sell that to the sell that to the um, people that are funding us, sell it to those that because there is a mental health aspect to that. That's gigantic. Absolutely. We cure that. So we do we, doing it in the vacuum is a problem. Selling it is, is, is great. Yeah. Tom, this has been fantastic. Let's um, let's bring this uh, this podcast kind of to an end. I'll, I'll let you wrap up in any way that you'd like, but it has been just, it's always a pleasure, my friend, to, to yes, sit with yes. you and chat. And we, and we could go yeah, on we literally could go. forever. <laughs> so yes, we truly can. We uh, can. Any, any parting words on the subject of leadership? I, I guess we established we can teach it, and it is important. And it's a journey that we take. Yeah, I, I think if, if there's anything I can, can end with is um, I think leadership, professionalism, everything takes work. And it's December the whatever it is right now. But, you know, I love New Year's because from December 1st to January 1st, I'm figuring out what my goals will be for the next year. And I start with a central theme. And then um, then you work that list of goals. And at the end of the year, you sit down and you see what you did. And I don't hit them all. You know, I mean, I, there's things I don't do like I want to do or I wouldn't weigh this much every single year. But um, it's, I think it's important right now to take this month to reflect. Every day you wake up, you get better or you get worse. You never stay the same. So you should be working on what are those things next year, big overreaching goals, and then per month, per week, per day. And so that's that's leadership in leading yourself. Know why you get up in the morning, know what you value, and know know, know why we're we're living. And I think that's that's the last thing I can leave you with. Tom, that is absolutely awesome. I 
with, with my students, after we go through strategic planning, I say, now do it for yourself, do it for your personal life. It's that is, that is leadership embodied. So uh, again, vision, honesty, courage, humility, amazing advice on leadership. And uh, we'll, we'll leave it at that. I hope everyone subscribes, likes, comments, all that stuff. And the reason you do that is not for yourself. It will, it will help you find this podcast again, but it's to help others find this podcast. And, you know, if we have kernels of truth here, we want to spread those kernels around. So um, please, uh, please help spread the word out there. And uh, we'll, we'll talk to you next time. Thanks so much. Thank you.